0: Hello and welcome to OU's Nach Yomi. You can find this year posted at ouradio.org slash nach or on my website, ericlevy.com under the recording section. Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy. I'm pleased to bring to you chapter 6 of the Book of Kohelet. Having returned to the philosophy that one should not only appreciate the benefits that hard work brings in life, since both the benefits as well as the appreciation of the benefits are gifts from God. That was his conclusion in Chapter 5. So, Kohelet is now compelled to face the reality that not everyone who works hard benefits from his hard work. Now, one could say the difference between this case and the case in Chapter 5 is that over there in Chapter 5, the person lost it through bad business deals, but he wasn't really um, uh, at fault himself, unless doing business badly is at fault. But here, there is a new character introduced. It's a stranger that gets to to eat the fruits of his labor. And maybe when I mentioned back in Chapter 5 that the guy invested a Ponzi scheme, maybe that's really more appropriate for this case, where a stranger gets to essentially take away everything this guy earned. However... If we look at it that way, then it's a philosophical treatise on the absurdities of life and how you have to deal with the fact that, guess what, not everybody gets to appreciate what they have. However, if we follow Rashi instead, there may be an, a difference here. The difference being that in chapter 5, the person did not sin at all. He lost things because of bad business. His ship went down. But here, there may be an issue of sin. And there may be the issue that the person who loses all his money to a stranger deserved to lose everything that he had. ver'abahi al There is an evil that I have seen underneath uh, 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 the sun, that is, which I said, is a metaphor for, during the lifetime of man, and it overwhelms man, so the word, rab is used twice in the sentence, first quant- qualitatively and then, and, or first quantitatively, and then qualitatively, as the word can be used, and this is the situation, which overwhelms man, Isha asher the a person who God gives wealth and property and honor and he does not hold himself back from anything that he desires, and then God doesn't give him the power to eat the fruits of his labor, because some stranger eats it all up, this is an absurdity, a waste that is a horrible evil it is. Rashi guides us to read the word tava. V'eno chaserl an ashomikol asher yit aveh, from the word, uh, very negatively. That is, his lust or inappropriate desires for stuff lead him astray. So what led to all of his properties, all of his wealth, And then finally, it led to his um, loss of any kind of control over anything that he had. In fact, Rashi suggests that this is a a, an historical allusion to King Ahav, who was very wealthy and in great power, and then his greed for Navot's vineyards, as described in chapter 21 in the first book of Kings, led to Ahav's gruesome uh, death. If Rashi is right, then this chapter is not so much a philosophy about the absurd loss of fortune that happens to happen in the world, but it's a warning about inappropriate desires which can turn you away from the goal of appreciating what you have. Um, the word hevel in that case, when it says zehevel, it's talking about that guy's sinful desire, and which is false, and insubstantial, it's absurd that he keeps looking for more than he has, even though he has so much. And then the word ra, which ends off the sentence Ra who that's talking about the, how the guy ends up with nothing. Now remember in chapter 2, it said that the wicked toil and toil, and then all of their prophets go to the ones who do good in the eyes of the Lord. So Rashi's approach fits well uh, with that idea, that is, who is this Nohri who gets the food? That guy is the one who didn't sin and this guy who did lust after everything, his sins caused him to lose everything. Now there's really a big difference between the way we read the verse. If it's just a philosophy, then these are just statements of facts. He was rich and he had everything he wanted to have, everything he desired, it's a fact and then God, for some reason, didn't con- give him control over uh, his own goods and that's a fact and then somebody else took it away that's a fact. But if Rashi's right, this is cause and effect. It's, it's action and consequence. Because he lusted after all these things and could not satisfy himself with his wealth, that's why the God did not allow that's why God did not allow him to have control over his things, and that's why a foreigner, a strange person, a stranger came to eat all of his stuff. So the question is is it just it's philosophical uh, an observation and philosophy is based on that, or is it cause and effect? And I'm going to lean towards Rashi's approach because I think that word ta'va is indicative. It definitely does usually have a, a negative connotation. If you lead ish mea v'shanim rabot yichye v'rab sheiyu yemei shanav v'nafshol lo tisba mina tova v'gam kuvuralo hayitalo amarti tovim emenu anafel and I think this also fits well with Rashi although you have to read it that way if a man has a hundred children and lives many years and his years are qual are qualitatively good as well. And his soul, his self, is not satisfied with that, with all that good, which means nafsho lotis because he doesn't let his soul be satisfied with everything good, then even a burial he won't have, which means he'll lose not only everything, but he'll be like the destitute that can't even get a burial mound. I say that in that case, the stillborn is better off than this guy. So according to Rashi's approach, he he doesn't because he doesn't allow his soul to be satisfied. That causes all this destruction until the point that he doesn't have a burial to fall upon him. Of course, if if this is just a philosophical quandary, then the fact that all of his wealth was stolen by a stranger and caused him not to be satisfied, then that's just an observation. But again, I I think like Rashi that it is not an observation but a consequence. Now, why is it worse for him than than a stillborn? Even though it, now it doesn't say who this is talking about—the stillborn or this person who lost all of his wealth—but I think it's the stillborn. Even though it, the stillborn comes from nothingness and goes out in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Which I means that the stillborn never gets a name; it never sees the light of day, and therefore it never is is a named person. It doesn't have any. Uh, memory that that people will remember it by. Um, that would seem to be, by the way. I mean, if that's true, the way I'm reading it is true. Then the question is, why isn't the person who lost lost all this money uh, better off than, than the Nephil, than the Stillborn? Because at least he had his day in the sun. At least he had a chance to make his retribution, uh, his reputation. So even though it, 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 retribution came after it, maybe he should be better than Nephil, but the the Kohelet will explu- explain why this is not true, why the reputation that this guy may have earned in his life, the name that he was given, in the end, is worth absolutely nothing. But before he gets to that, he'll say, Gam Shemesh lo ra'ah, ve'lo nachat even though, that is, the stillborn never saw the sun, meaning it never had a day of life, and never knew anything, or was not known, the ease of this one is better than the ease of that one. That is, the ease of the stillborn is better than the ease of the one who is uh, who had everything taken away from him. And even if he, that is, the one who lost everything, should live twice 1,000 years, If he does not get to benefit from that life, well, isn't it true that everything goes to the same place in the end? Haló el makom echad Meaning, the formerly rich and the stillborn all go to the same place, which is to the nothingness of death. So the quantity of life didn't matter when it's all over, and the quality of life in the end summed out to zero for both of them because of the loss that he took. Now, Rashi's approach is to continue on with these coming verses as continuing to be a castigation of this insatiable and unappreciative man. Although, I'm going to deviate from Rashi's identification of who that is and just say it generally has to do with the unappreciative and insatiable man. Um, The focus is on the gluttony of one who chases all things voluptuous nefesh Again, I don't think this is just a philosophical statement, although it might be. It just means that everything a person does, he eats it and then all he has to do is work more and work more and work more, which of course would contradict what, what Kohelet uh, sort of said before, that one should appreciate what one has. So I think that this is still dealing with this um, voracious person. This man, not any man, but this man puts all of his efforts into feeding himself. But even so, his his desires, are never filled. Again, I'm reading this man as opposed to any man in the philosophical sense. So what advantage was it that he had knowledge over all of the fools? Which means he had to know-how to amass more and more fortune. If only he had known what a poor person knows, that is a person with no chokhmah for amassing fortune and who wound up being poor all of his life, if only he knew what that guy knew, which is that he must neged he must pursue life which means, I think, that all he has to do is appreciate life and that is enough. And it's a chaval, it's a shame that this guy didn't understand that because he wouldn't have appreciated it even more because he did have the ability to amass wealth. Tov mar'ei enayim mehalach nafesh gamze hevel ruach And now Kohelet is quoting an adage. And as we've seen, that is the style of Kohelet. He quotes things from time to time. And this quote, this wisdom, he will once again quote in order to reject. There are people who say... Better something that is pleasing to the eyes, that is better to have aesthetic uh, uh, pleasures, than running after the nefesh, than only paying attention after making sure that one's uh, uh, belly is full. This is wrong, it is absurd, it is like running after the wind. Now, I don't want to put things in Koelit's mouth, but I don't think that he means that you're not allowed to appreciate beauty. But this guy, who I think he's referring to, he had it all. But that couldn't satisfy his eyes. He kept looking for more and more and more things. Everything that he didn't have, that's exactly what he wanted. So that guy is worse off than the one who simply worries where the next meal is coming from. Had that guy appreciated then what he had, then he would have been better off than both of them. Returning to this fellow, Kohelet may be saying in the next verse that this fellow's problem is not just hedonism, the desire for slinking one's senses, the the, the voluptuon who always looks for satisfaction. I mean, that is this guy's problem. But there may be another problem which drives this guy's insatiability, and that is hubris. Hubris drives him to get more and more things. Hubris is the desire to attain divinity. It's to have godlike power. And that's why the word kavod, honor, was mentioned above. It was all about honor. It was all about the people be looking up to him and saying, wow, he has the nice his car, he has the nicest things, he's the richest guy. And therefore I think um, that this verse gets back to the issue of why um, why this man has no advantages over the stillborn. If you remember, over there, we said that the stillborn never gets a name, and we proposed, but this guy does get a name because he had some time to make a name and, and to be honored in his life. However, <laughs> That which this guy did, or his name, his fame, has already been declared. Kvar <laughs> Like, we already know who he was. But, what do we know? I'm sorry, Kavar Nikrashmo, Vinodashir... But what is really known is that he's just a man. And it is also known, <laughs> He cannot contend with, he can't fight with one who's stronger than he. Which means he tried taking on God by getting more and more power and wanting more and more power. And in the end he's lost. So yeah, he had a name. But the good name that he had, the honor that he had was completely reversed. Because in the end people just say, oh, what a human. That's all he is. Kiyesh devarim, and now the now kohelet I think gets to a new idea devarim Harbei marbim havel, mayoter la adam, indeed, the more one talks, the more one increases hevel, which is like hot air meaning, meaninglessness, absurdities in what way can man profit la Adam, or in one way is that talking profitable to a person and I, I think that Kohelet is not referring to these people he was referring to before, although he might be, but I think he's actually castigating himself for going on and on about all these life situations. Not castigating so much, but reproving himself about all of this philosophizing. Um, because the more he thinks about it, the more and more absurd it seems. Why? Because ultimately, Mi yodei hama yemei Because who can know what is good for man in life in his limited, finite, vaporous, quick-to-disappear days, his ye may have low. For who will tell that God makes them like shadows? And who can tell or who will tell mankind, that is God won't tell man, what will come after him, which means either what will happen in this world after he dies, or what will happen to him in his life, to, to, his, to his soul after his life is over. And this is, I think, the conclusion of this little section, which means sort of like I've said enough. Um, it, interestingly enough, at the end of the whole book, in chapter twelve, Kohelet also warns about speaking too many words; that they are tiresome and in the end, tiring, and in the end, they're, they're simply vaporous. So here too, we're kind of ending the section, I think, uh, about these philosophies, and he's saying enough talking, enough talking, because all I'm doing is making things seem more absurd. Because you really can't know the answer. There's no way to know how God does things after you're gone. There's no way to know when God is going to kick in with His chayefes. There's no way to know for sure. What's going to happen to you at the end of days? We could believe, we could hope, but you can't know, and therefore it makes life's troubles seem quite absurd. Um, in the next chapter, I think we'll see that we really start a new section, and there's a new style, and there the focus, the keyword is on the word tov, which repeats itself over and over, and Kohelet will essentially embark on a series of evaluations to decide what is good, what is bad, what is better, etc.,